Good morning, Veritas. That was such a great song and a great introduction to the song so we could just jump right in and speak about, sing about merit and stuff. But anyway, beautifully done. Um, looking around, seeing a lot of newer people, so glad. I hope that um, if you are newer to our church family that you don't feel like a visitor for very long, but start feeling like this is home. I want to introduce myself a little bit. My name's Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here. You'll see different ones of us pop up here to, uh, to teach the Bible for you. I'm, I'm one of the guys that will be doing that. Uh, just a little bit about me. You know how when you start a relationship, you want to kind of introduce yourself. We, we had connection group, a brand new connection group meet at our place the other night. You go around, just the basics. So I'm from Osage. That's really important to me. I'm from Osage, Iowa. Go Green Devils. Um, so much a fan of my hometown and little rural upbringing that uh, I already have my cemetery plot, but that's at, in Orchard. It's kind of a suburb of Osage. Orchard, Iowa is where my cemetery plot is. Some people think that's weird that I already have my cemetery plot. Others are thinking, wow, you're pretty old. You should get those things in order. Um, but I've, I've got four grown kids, seven grandkids. We got to have all the grandkids together to watch the Iowa State game yesterday. That was fun. I love, love my family. Um, I love theology. Uh, I love trees. Some of you are going to get tired when you come and hear me talk about trees. I really love trees. Uh, um, love the Bible, you guys. I, uh, my greatest joy, actually, is not just reading the Bible on my own. I certainly love that. But I really love teaching the Bible so that uh, all of you come and f become so fascinated with the Bible that you don't just come here to get your feeding of the Word. We're helping you be... Um, kind of self-sufficient, that you're able to open your Bibles and learn from your Bibles. We, we just want to tee that up for you, so I just love it when um, people learn how to read the Bible and are fascinated with it. So I came to Christ uh, a little bit later in the timeline. I was uh, up at UNI. I was a, a freshman up at the University of Northern Iowa, came to know Jesus, and when I started learning the Bible for the first time, it, it just, I mean, it's, fascinating to me. It, it was like one of those books that had been on the shelf or I've even heard it taught to me or read to me, but never. So that's why too, I love the fact that Veritas is one of those churches that just opens the doors wide for college students and, and welcoming college students in to know this God that has created them in Jesus Christ and, and uh, have them encounter Jesus, maybe for the first time like it was for me. So uh, what I really want to do though is in my introductions, introduce you uh, also to the book of James. So if you've got a Bible, we're going to be going to the book of James, way deep into the New Testament. And I want to introduce you to James and his book. And by the way, we have these, these little blue books are available at where all the books are on these shelves. If you go out those doors right around to the left, uh, these are free to you. What this is, is like a journal. So you can go through the book of James. James is on one side in blank pages to take notes, scribble on, whatever. If you want one of those, and that'd be helpful as we go through James, uh, go, go grab one of those. But I want to introduce you to James because you're going to be hanging out with James for several weeks. We're going to spend several weeks going through this little book of James. He is the half-brother to Jesus, meaning after Jesus was born miraculously, uh, Mary and Joseph went on to have other kids. He's one of those. So as a half-brother, I'm saying he grew up around Jesus. And this is one of the things you're going to find really fascinating about his, his works uh, as he's writing to us. Um, He's going to help us to know that proximity around Jesus is actually no indication that you know or believe in Jesus. Because even though he was Jesus' half-brother, he actually didn't come to believe 
that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, until after the resurrection of Jesus. So if you're one that's just kind of been around Christianity, around Jesus, hearing about Jesus, you're kind of in the neighborhood, that's no indication, actually, that you actually know him. And James is going to help us come to grips with that. It's a pretty fascinating story. Um, he wants to help us now get to know him. So anyway, another couple things about James, and then we're going to dive in. But he's intensely practical. James is one of the most practical books. Let me give you an example. If, you, if you've got James open, you go down to verse 22, he says this. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. This is one of those examples of just a punchy thing like, oh, you think just because you're hearing this stuff, that's it? No, do it. You know, like that's going to be James's kind of uber practical. There are you know, a lot of no-nonsense words coming from James in this book. There are more imperatives. By imperatives, I mean commands. Do this. Don't do that. More imperatives in this book of James than in any other book in the New Testament. They just come rapid fire at us, so very practical. Also concise. So he's going to go from one topic to another to another in such rapid, concise fashion. Like if you're one of those people that loves like the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, where you take one thought and you just, you know, linearly kind of unfold it, unfold it, you're going to be super frustrated with James because he just comes at this teaching and this teaching, and they seem to be unrelated. It's hard to outline the book of James. Now, if you've got a short attention span, anybody in here with a short attention span? Yeah, you're going to love this book. You are going to love this book because he's not going to stay long in any one place. He's just going to keep moving on. Um, you're going to love this guy. Plenty of stories and illustrations. This I do think he picked up from Jesus. Just this morning I was reading the little portion uh, of the New Testament that I'm in in my New Testament states. And he's, Jesus is talking about the sower and the seed and harvesting and wheat and weeds. And, you know, these memorable pictures, James does that a lot. So as you go through, you're gonna, uh, he's going to tell you about raging seas and destructive fires and bits and bridles and horses' mouths and arrogant businessmen and moth-eaten clothes. And all these really memorable pictures are going to be yours. And, and here's why. He wants these teachings to land. James wants his, his teachings to be unforgettable, and mostly, mostly, he wants these teachings to be life-changing. James does not want you just to nod along and then move on as if he hasn't spoken or written. James wants every word to, to spur on a life-changing encounter uh, with the truth that he's going to bring. So, so let's do this. I know you got all settled in. Let's stand up, though, because I want to read for you the first few verses of the book of James and uh, want to give it our full attention. I'm going to start our journey through the book of James. He starts out in James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes dispersed abroad, greetings. Okay, I don't often do this, but I'm actually going to interrupt the reading of James, just to call attention to just quick things, and then we're going to read our passage for the day. He's writing to these who have been dispersed abroad because of persecution. So James was one of the leaders in the church in Jerusalem, in the city of Jerusalem, and great persecution has arisen, driving many of the believers out of Jerusalem. They're being chased. They're, they're scarred and often, um, you know, hurt physically as well as businesses closed down, etc. 
And so they've, they've run for their lives, but James has chosen to stay back in Jerusalem to care for those who either could not leave or would not leave for whatever reason. So he's back still in the white-hot center of persecution and trial, and he's writing to people that he knows experienced that, but now he's kind of lost touch with them because they're living all over the place. So he's writing a letter. So I just want to say that because you're going to see, even though he's very punchy with his words, he's writing with compassion and love and to a people who have gone through what he's gone through and are now living abroad, and his heart is just going to be pouring out to them. And he knows his time is short, and that's part of why his punchy little style, because he's so desperate to let them know this and this and this. And, and even the fact that he calls himself a servant of God, James is not going to come at us from some ivory tower. It's one servant talking to another servant about how to make sense of this world and how to live, live this Christian life out, right? So beautiful way that he illustrates or, or introduces himself. Okay, we're just going to cover the next three verses, so let me read those to you. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Okay, it's so short. I'm going to have us read that all again, but out loud together, okay? Let's let it really sink in. Let's do this all together. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So Jesus very few words that we're focusing on, but words full of power, because by your Holy Spirit, these are supernatural words, life-changing words, if we could just open our hearts to understand. So would you do that for us? Would you, by your Spirit, awaken us, like, like help us to see what maybe we wouldn't have seen otherwise, believe what we would maybe never have believed before? All that because we're encountering the God of the universe speaking to us through this powerful book. So come, we're ready to learn from you, Lord. And we pray in Christ's name, amen, amen. All right, you may be seated. You're going to see James is going to go directly at one of the most difficult, disturbing questions virtually every Christian and non-Christian has ever asked. Why does God allow suffering to people. And more than that, why is God allowing suffering to good people? In fact, why is God allowing suffering to his people? This doesn't make sense. Why is there suffering in this world? And I just love you, you guys. The Bible is not afraid of your hard, very legitimate, but difficult questions. In fact, sometimes the Bible is going to draw those questions out and introduce those questions before you even ask them, right? Because he wants you to know. He's not going to hold anything behind his back. Come right out, right out of the suit. The very first thing, why are trials happening to, to good people? Especially these people who are literally running for their lives. Why is this happening? Now, James is not going to give a very theological response. Now, that's really important to get a theological, deeper response. But there are other parts of your Bible for that. I mentioned Paul earlier, Peter. They're going to give theological, philosophical understandings for trust. 
Nope, James is going to come at us with, to answer that question, very practical. It's like he's going to put his arm around, don't you love that? Brothers and sisters, that's how he starts this. Brothers and sisters, it's like he's coming alongside, putting his armor. I want to guide you to help you understand why these trials of various kinds is in your experience right now. You're experiencing these various trials. First thing that he wants them to know, suffering is the truest test of genuine faith. Suffering is the truest test of genuine faith. I want us to hold up for a second and point something out that's, that's going to be really important for you to, to snag this. The word test is a very unique word. In fact, rarely used. It's only used twice in the entire New Testament. Once by Peter and this time by James. It's not. Let me tell you first off what it's not. The word test we often use as a way testing. I'm testing you to kind of trip you up. To show that you're actually not what you claim to be. So picture this. Again, growing up in Osage, uh, uh, if, if I were a kid in grade school or whatever, and I wanted to show what a good aim I was with a rock, I might say to my buddy Keith Wiley from down this, on Oak Street, I might say, hey, Keith, I'll tell you what, I, I could take this rock and hit that can over there. And here's what Keith Wiley would say. No, you can't. Oh, yeah, I can. No, you can't. Oh, yeah, well, do it, right? Like he'd be saying, well, just do it, you know, and why, why would he be testing me at that point? To show that I can't do it, right? That's why Keith Wiley would be saying that. You can't do that. You know, yes, I can. No, I can't. You know, so that's why he wants to test me. That's not the word <laughs> that's used here. But sometimes we feel like God is more like Keith Wiley, okay? He's trying to test you, kind of poke you. Like, is it real? I don't think you're real. I don't think you really mean it. I don't, right? We can have this idea about God poking us, testing us in that way. I just need you to know, Turn that idea upside down. Complete opposite of that is what this word testing is. This is actually a word that's used to show what is pure. It's, it's to draw up what's actually true and sincere. Think, think more like if you test or, or um, to put gold, gold like in a crucible or whatever so that the the purest of stuff rises to the surface, and you're like, oh, it really is gold. It really is. That's the word testing, to, to draw out what already exists. It's already there. So here's the deal. You, you guys have seen this. There are people that are make, able to make, like, bold, very well-articulated claims of what they know about Jesus, right? And then there are other people who can barely stammer out what they actually believe that's actually not the best test for whether they actually have belief or not, if they can say it really well or not say it very well. The truer test of the genuineness of their faith is trials. It's when the heat is turned up. It's, it's maybe think of it this way. Many of you are, are married, and, and you'll nod along with this, I, I think. When you're newly married and everything's maybe just going great and you're in that honeymoon phase or whatever. And then you start wondering, man, is, is this, can this really last? Is this really all that it's, you know, supposed to be? Is this, can, can this stand the test of time? Well, the only way to actually test that is trials, right? When the, when the first kind of hardships come of all various kinds, like he's talking about, various kinds of, whatever those are, they come at you. And all of a sudden you get through that, and you're like, oh, man, we're actually closer because of that. We didn't, it didn't fall apart. We didn't go the opposite way. 
oh, that, and then you hit another trial and brings you closer and closer and closer. Now, maybe there's some moments along the way, you're stumbling along, but, but at the end of the day, and now, like, I've been married 40 years. After you've gone through test after test, you know, there's a security, a purity in that, like, oh, man, she's really not going anywhere when she sees the worst of me or whatever. It's those testings that actually bring out what is true and, and what's lasting. James wants his brothers and sisters and all of us to know this. Jesus is not going to leave you in the test of life. He's not going to leave you. In fact, just on the opposite page, as, as James 1 is the end of the book of Hebrews, and there's a verse in Hebrews 13, verse 5, he says, I will never leave you. This is Jesus. I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. And the writer of Hebrews says, therefore, I can boldly say, man, the Lord is my helper. I'm not going to be afraid. What can man do to me? Like, in the testing of, of, of our faith, we're, we're shown Jesus is saying, I'm never leaving you. Like, we, we think about Psalm 23 quite a bit. Even in the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. And even more than that, the, the testing of your faith shows that you also are not going to leave Jesus. Like, you get through it all, and you're like, Jesus, we're, we're still together. We're still you haven't left me, and actually, I haven't left you. And so I'm saying suffering is the truest test of, of genuine faith. Okay, second thing he wants us to know in this just few verses. Suffering forges loyalty. Loyalty. Some of you in your versions, if you've got a different version than what I'm reading from, have the word endurance in there, or maybe the word steadfastness in there. Um, there's another word I want to use, and we don't use it very often. It's maybe an old word. But it's the word fortitude. You know that word fortitude? I, I think that's the best word that could be placed in here, that suffering forges fortitude. The Oxford Dictionary has this for fortitude. Just three words. Courage in pain. Isn't that beautiful? Fortitude is courage in pain. There's nothing but suffering that can bring out fortitude, loyalty, endurance. Not some downtrodden... Like passivity, I'll just keep bearing up under it. I'll just keep, no, no, no. It's a shoulders back, like, I can do this. Okay, I couldn't help but think, as I was thinking about fortitude, of one of my favorite characters in the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, this guy, Puddle Glum. If you've read through the silver chair, Puddle Glum, this Narnian guy, he's got web feet and web hands, and he's, he's a, yeah, uh, he's a marsh wiggle. Okay, you're just going to have to get beyond that. Just work with me here. But I, I just, I got to get to the reading because at this one point, he and the children that are with him are up against this witch, and she's got this intoxicating fire that's putting smoke in the air that's kind of getting them to think, oh, maybe there isn't such a, a, a homeland that they're striving for. They're deep in the earth in her cave, and they're trying to get back home. And she's like, oh, there is no such thing. No, 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 there is no such thing as that. And trying to put the spell. like It's all a myth. You've been told there's this world that you're heading to, but that's not true. Anyway, at this point, he takes his big marsh wiggle, big foot, and he when he stomps out the fire and, and all of a sudden the magic kind of goes away, does this heroic thing, like the, one of the most unlikely weak, he's a marsh wiggle, like who would expect him to be the hero, right? But then here's what he says. I want you to just listen to what he says at this point. One word, ma'am, starting with the witch. One word, ma'am, he said, coming back from the fire, limping because of the pain. One word. All you've been saying is quite right, I shouldn't wonder. You know, I'm a chap who always liked to know the worst and then put the best face I can on it. So I won't deny what you've said. 
But there's one more thing to be said, even so. Suppose we have only dreamed or made up all those things. Trees, grass, sun and moon, stars, and Aslan himself. That's the God figure. Aslan himself. Suppose we have. Then all I can say is that, in that case, the made-up things seem a good deal more important than the real ones. Suppose this big black pit of a kingdom of yours is the only world? Well, it strikes me a pretty poor one. And that's a funny thing when you come to think of it. We're just babies making up a game, if that's what you're, you're saying. But four babies playing a game can make a play world which licks your real world hollow. That's why I'm saying I'm going to stand by the play world. I'm on Aslan's side, even if there isn't any Aslan to lead it. I'm going to live just like a Narnian, even if there is no Narnia. So thanking you kindly for your supper. If these two gentlemen and this young lady are ready, we're leaving your court at once, sitting out in the dark to spend our lives looking for overland. Not that our lives will be very long, I should think, but that's small loss if the world's as dull a place as you say. <laughs> it's just so... Here's why I read it. The most unlikely person all of a sudden doing the most courageous thing, right? Because fortitude, there was nothing but that trial to all of a sudden bring up like the most unlikely guy to stomp out the fire and start going up against the, the witch, right? Here's what you're going to find. James is saying, you know this, brothers and sisters, you know this. Those trials... They actually bring out the best in you. You get courage you didn't even know you had. You get fortitude that you, didn't, you thought you were too weak. Those trials are bringing out something beautiful in you. It's genuine, and there's loyalty and steadfastness in there that you didn't even know you had. Next thing, suffering perfects you. Look what he says there. He, let endurance then, that in, I have endurance or loyalty or steadfastness. Let it have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete Lacking nothing. In fact, what he's saying is suffering perfects you, and without trials, without suffering, you're weak. You're shallow. You're, you're, you're incomplete. So I, I, we, I mentioned we met as a connection group for the first time, you know, going around. And right after the introductions, because I've got my mind, you know, fixed on James 1, I'm like, hey, let's all talk about a trial we've been through and what we learned about it. I'm like, wow, this is a deep end, you know. But anyway, went there. After everybody left, Teresa and I were talking, and we are like, man, those are some remarkable young men and women we just had in our place. Like, remarkable. They're all either younger or the same age as our children, right? So we're, I mean, the gap of age. And we're looking back at this group of young men and women, I'm like, Man, they're remarkable. But you know what we also notice? They're remarkable because their faith had been tested along the way by some of the trials we talked about just on the first night of our connection group. That's why they're remarkable. So as I was typing in my thoughts on this, here's what, it's funny. I'm a terrible typer, so this, that's a typist. See, I'm a terrible speaker, too, as that turns out. But... I was typing, because their faith was forged in the, and I was trying to write trials, and actually what came out on my screen was rituals. <laughs> I, I don't know how that happened, but rituals. And I thought, well, that's interesting. That's actually the opposite of what James is saying. In other words, your faith is not forged um, in rituals. It's not just in attending church over and over coming and singing songs over and over, rituals of the Christian faith, I hope they're helpful in some ways. That's actually not what perfects you. 
If I just keep going to church enough, if I attend all the connection groups, if I go to the women's Bible study and the men's Bible, if I go through all the ritual, then I'll be complete and lacking nothing. No, actually, James is saying, those have their place. What's really going to bring out the completeness, the full effect is trials. Maturity, completeness will come to us only through trials. It's the only way. Which brings me to the, the last point that I believe James wants to bring out. Suffering brings you joy. Suffering brings you joy. Now, I saved it for last, but it's actually what he leads off with. If you look back at verse 2, consider it a great joy, my brother. Great joy. The reason I saved it for last is because I, I think he would like this to be the most memorable. And you just, if, if we read it too quick, we're going to miss it. Because if we read it too quickly, we might think that what he's saying is, you should be joyful all the time, no matter what happens. That's not what he's saying. What he is saying is, you should find the greatest joy when you see that suffering and trials are bringing about genuine faith, steadfastness completeness the greater the joy that you'll, you'll have is going to come after you've watched suffering have its full effect it, it's like when he says great joy this this is also a word that's translated lots of ways think about a balloon and maybe the first time you try to blow up a balloon it's a little stubborn so you go and it gets about that big and you and you have to you know let it out and then you're like drag it and you get it a little bit bigger you know and then you try to Go again, and it, it keeps getting expanding. That's the word great that he's using here. Expanding joy, like full capacity joy. If you really want the fullest expression of joy, great joy, the most kind of joy you can have is actually going to come as a result of trials. And he even says that you know this, brothers and sisters. You know that pure joy, entire joy, full capacity joy Think about it. He says, consider it, right? Verse 2, think about this. Look back over your shoulder. Those trials have actually brought a deeper, more full sense of what joy actually is than almost anything else. I couldn't have learned it in a book. Couldn't have had it just preached to me. I had to experience it, and my joy has expanded. My capacity for joy has expanded. One thing about James that I didn't bring up earlier that's really important to legitimize what he's saying here is, I talked about the persecution, but what I didn't tell you is that not long after he finished writing this little book, James was martyred, killed for his faith. So maybe part of the reason that he's writing in such rapid things is he knows that time is very short and he's got very little time to teach them everything that he really wants them to know before he is taken. And his death was an actually very violent death we have actually some first century historians that describe the way that they killed him it's not written in the book of acts there's a couple other james in the book of acts common name but th this one we find out through historians but what gave james the fortitude to first of all stay right there on the front lines of the persecution what gave him the like pure even joy-filled faith, to teach other people even as he himself knows his trial is probably going to end in his mortal death. Where do you get that? 
Well, it's because he had watched his brother, Jesus, pay the ultimate price, go through a gruesome trial, and actually that ended with a bloody death. And he watched as he stood there as Jesus even said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And you know who that included? James. He didn't really believe who he was at that point. But here's the game changer. You know what James also saw three days later? <laughs> the resurrection, right? That was the game changer for James. He really was the Christ. Look at how he introduces his half-brother. Oh, it's my older brother Jesus. No, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how he introduces him, right? Because all of a sudden, the resurrection, boom, the lights came on. He truly is the Messiah. And that way of suffering that my brother went through leads to life, resurrection, life. And now Jesus was able to teach him as now the Lord Jesus Christ. And James, if you will believe me, if you'll put your trust in me, I'm going to be waiting on the other side. And there won't be any more trials and no more pain, no more suffering. All the tears are going to be wiped away, and I'm going to be waiting for you on the other side, right? And James believed that with all of his heart, so much so that he's willing to follow that same path. Take my life if you need to, because my joy is complete and where I'm about to head. And I want all the rest of you, now through the ages, now into Iowa City in 2023, to hear this word. There is hope and there is joy, even in trials and persecution, because it fixes our eyes on Jesus, who broke through the grave, forgave, offered forgiveness for all of us so that even we weak, stammering, faithless, unbelieving people could have our awakening moment and know him forever and ever and ever. So I don't know if you're going through a trial right now or maybe you're just in between trials. They're coming, okay? <laughs> maybe you're in between. Maybe you're right in the middle of one. Maybe this trial has come to you to introduce you to Jesus. That's what James wants you to know. Hey, I've introduced myself. Could I actually introduce you to my big brother, Jesus? Maybe this is your moment. Or maybe all these things that have happened haven't come by accident or, or without purpose. Jesus, you, you get me. If that's your moment, Crowd him right now. Right now, I believe, Jesus, I believe. That's who James wants you to know. And even after you cross over from death into life and, and have that awakening moment and you're, you're really a believer, just know those trials, they haven't stopped coming. In fact, they might increase. And it's only going to be the opportunity to prove you really do have faith. It's genuine. It's real. It's true. You're going to find courage in your soul that will blow your mind and even joy. So let's stand. I, I would love to join together in prayer. Because what we're about to do is join back together in worship. And we're going to take communion. Because communion is the Christian's very weird way to celebrate death. The death of Jesus. It's a reminder of what Jesus has done for us that makes hope and joy possible even in the midst of trial so will you pray with me jesus this message is true and it is life-changing 
And I pray right now, Holy Spirit, would you do in each individual heart that magical supernatural work of bringing faith and trust and even joy to every soul here. Jesus, the only way that we can know this and have that kind of joy and hope is because of what you've done for us. Thank you, Jesus, for suffering. Thank you, Jesus, for not turning back and now extending your hand to walk with us through our own trials. What a savior. What a big brother we have. Oh, we love you so much. And we pray in Christ's name.